When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to The Fader Interview. I'm Alex Robert Ross, Editorial Director of The Fader. What initially stood out about Coco and Claire Claire, two young hip-hop artists from the suburbs of Atlanta, was their unique sense of glamour. Cheap, cheerful, and totally unforced. The songs on their 2017 debut, Posh, embraced the limitations of their bedroom rap origins and the rough, unprecious philosophy of early SoundCloud hip-hop, though their sound was plinky and lo-fi instead of raw and aggressive. Their infectious chemistry, a kind familiar to anyone who's made a song with a pal in GarageBand during a sleepover, was as undeniable as it was specific. Teflon-coated irony, low in stakes and high on charisma. Misogynist criticism followed, but their ascent couldn't be stopped. Since then, Coco and Claire Claire have found viral success in a string of singles. Their biggest is Pretty, a cheeky ode to self-love with a cavernous club beat. Millions of streams later, something had struck a nerve with the TikTok generation. Coco and Claire Claire had started playing house parties in Atlanta, where they performed on bills with Playboy Carti and Babyfather and collaborated with Awful Records. Now, the entire internet was taking notice. Sexy, Coco and Claire Claire's new album, is a concerted attempt at growth that doesn't entirely dispense with the informality. Songs like Cherub add more polish and hookiness to their already addictive sound, but the vibe is expanded, thanks in part to a roster of collaborators, including Aaron Main of Porches, Red Hot Atlanta producer Popstar Benny, TV Girl Marjorie Sinclair, and more. Sexy is a significant leap forward for Coco and Claire Claire as songwriters, both in terms of their rapping and capacity for pop earworms, that retains the same solid ground they started out with. In late October, The Fader's Jordan Darville spoke with Coco and Claire Claire about their newfound commitment to songwriting, transcending TikTok, and the road from Atlanta house parties to sell out crowds. So where are you guys based right now? I know that you started in Atlanta and one of you went to New York. And are you, are you guys reunited pretty much permanently now? Or are you still living in different cities? Um, we're reunited in Atlanta finally since like COVID, I think. Yeah. So was that like before COVID or when COVID quote unquote ended that you guys finally got back together? I moved back to Atlanta at the end of 2019, I think, 2020 maybe, during COVID, yeah, right? It's all a bit of a blur, but we're both in Atlanta now, and towards the end of COVID, I moved back. I've been here for a year or two. So you guys obviously kept the project going while you were living in different cities. How was it getting back into the flow of things when you were in Atlanta together? Before, when we lived separately, like... I feel we had to cram so much of the music making process into like small trips. And so now like if I can just drive 10 minutes down the road and be at her house and like hang out in her closet and record, that's like so much easier and nicer. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think in the past we'd only be together for like a week 
And then we'd be like, no, we can't go out tonight. Like, we have to record this one verse. We were so hard on ourselves about it. And before I lived in New York, we would just hang out after school and randomly make a song. So a lot of this album, now that we're back in the city together in Atlanta, was trying to get back to that and just being like, okay, do we want to record a couple days this week? And we're chill about it and gave us gave ourselves enough time to kind of focus on it rather than like rush it and put just random singles out. So yeah, let's take it back to um, when you both started creating music either together or, or separately. I thought I wanted to be like a video editor when I was in high school. And so I would just make videos for all my friends that made music. And then when I ran out of friends that made music, I was like, let me just start making dumb songs and make videos to them. And then I met Claire when I was a senior in high school and I was dating a producer at the time. And I told him to sample like Reading Rainbow or something. And she came over because he wasn't going to use it. He like also rapped and he was like, this is a Soldier Boy beat. Like, I'm not going to do this. And I was like, I love Soldier Boy, so I will do this. And then we did it. And then we went out that night and like we had like 300 plays already on like our SoundCloud. And we were like, oh, wow, like. We're popular. We should keep doing this. <laughs> so, but I think that's how, kind of how it started. Yeah. I think that night, everyone, like all of our friends, like the seven people we were with, liking the song was enough encouragement to keep going. But I had never really played with music before. It was like a childhood dream, not something I thought was like actually attainable. And it was so fun when we started doing it. It seemed so easy. It like came surprisingly naturally, I guess. We were just kind of shooting the shit, joking around in the beginning. And now we're very serious. The new project, it definitely seems like a level up in terms of both the production and how you guys are presenting yourselves. The songs are definitely fun, but I feel like when you decide to go uh, a bit deeper into your personal lives and, you know, show like the less glamorous side of Coco and Claire Claire. You're a bit more confident in that respect, if that makes sense. I think we've pushed ourselves to a lot of the beats we used were kind of like styles we hadn't really played with before. And we were pulling from influences that are just like from our taste in music, not like what's funny and what are we thinking about today? Like we really tried to be thoughtful about the songs and types of songs we wanted to make while still having the Coco and Claire Claire kind of charm to it, I guess. So we do touch on, I think, a lot of different stuff in this album. Mm -hmm. We tried to be more comfortable making like kind of lovey songs, tried to be comfortable, like not just being crazy in a song, but then also there's like the song bitches that is a totally just like basically freestyle psycho song and we're just being funny on it the whole time so it's kind of all over the place but it was intentional we wanted to see how far we could take some of those things a song that stood out for me in that respect was uh 8 a.m
it starts off um, as I'm listening to it. I, I get the sense like, oh, this is about somebody waking up depressed, waking up with a hangover. But it sort of evolves into this more sort of freeform feel good. It almost feels like when if you steal my sunshine and it's kind of spirit where it's just like I'm having a good day. And I, I really like how it how it developed sort of organically like that. Yeah, that song was like probably the most fun to make because like we were listening to a lot of like Dido and like Standing Still by Jewel and even like Sheryl Crow and it was like summertime and like Len was like definitely one of those um, people that we were listening to. And we were just like, it would feel so good to make just like a fucking feel good song that you just want to like hear when you're chilling or like doing anything, but like you put it on and the goal is to make you feel good. So I'm glad that you picked up on that. Yeah. I, for me, a lot of your music, it feels like it has like an aspirational view of like stardom or like your own personality. Like in your lyrics, you sound like you're you're hyping yourself up to a certain standard rather than like professing, I am this person all the time. I was wondering like, who are some celebrities or artists who sort of take a similar view either in their public image or their music that you look up to in that regard? I think songwriting, like inspiration wise, kind of like pushing ourselves into like a new world of like thought to be able to write songs like that. Part of it does just come naturally because like we'll be annoyed with somebody and it's like a bit of like a tongue in cheek, like, okay, well, this is actually my attitude and like, it's easy to go there. But I think like it does, what am I trying to say? There are people that I think about like Grimes even who sings about like really ethereal, crazy worlds that like aren't real or even like true to how she's living with like when you know whatever she's doing in her day-to-day life and that's inspirational like uh, almost a creative writing practice and then there's like rappers like future who are like so over the top and I think we do pull a lot from especially like rappers in Atlanta who rap a lot about like their lifestyle and just going out all the time and being flashy and it is something to like kind of look up to it makes you feel better about yourself to like act like you're living that way I guess I feel like it's like our interpretation of like the rappers like Future and Young Thug and stuff. Cause like we go to the strip clubs too. We, <laughs> we, we do, do those things, but like we do it. We're not like trying to be like them. We're like doing it our way. And like, I think in that way, we're also kind of relatable. And like, that's always like a good thing. Like we want to be relatable because we don't want people to think that we don't remember our suburban roots. And right. so, <laughs> right. so Yeah. Like, we're from Atlanta, and, like, that's definitely a huge influence. But I think also, like, being on the outskirts of Atlanta is, like, it's, like, our take on it, I guess. Do you feel like, because you grew up on the suburbs, you're on the outside looking in, in terms of Atlanta's music scene? I mean, not really. I feel like when we started, we were with, like, Awful Records. So, like, we saw firsthand what it looks like for, like, all eyes to be on Atlanta and, like, how impactful and influential Atlanta is on the music industry. And I think we're fortunate that we kind of had the best of both worlds. Like we'd hang out in the city with these guys and then go back to our suburbs, like, you know, um, during the week. So, yeah, I don't feel like, I feel like we're involved, but like in our own way, not like, we're not like deep involved in like the Atlanta rap scene or anything like that. But I think we like rode the line a bit, which was cool Mm -hmm. when we first started. Yeah. Something that I've noticed um, throughout your discography is that 
you've definitely like absorbed a lot of Atlanta's rap history, like not just recent, but historically speaking as well. I was so happy to hear uh, Popstar Benny's tag on this record. I think he's one of my favorite producers right now. So I'm wondering like how you absorbed the music um, of Atlanta when you were younger versus now that you're musicians creating art that's inspired so much by that city. I feel like we absorbed it in a way like when we would perform earlier on, like we'd play like crazy ass house shows. We just hop on like any bill. So like we'd play with punk bands or like we play with Playboy Cardi one day, like being in that environment and like seeing people just like perform so carefree and like have people just love it. That definitely impacted like our performance style. Like we still prefer like the house show vibe. We still prefer to like scream on the microphone unprompted and like, you know, be like really silly, but it's way more controlled now, obviously, because like we're older and like we're playing like bigger and more serious shows and like more serious people are in the room now. So I can't pour an entire bottle of whiskey on my head anymore but like it definitely like we still like bring it in with us in certain ways and it does still come out and it definitely has like formed us in our performances and stuff this year you've played like Lollapalooza and, and Oshiega these like massive festivals did you guys get like a bit of whiplash from these smaller house parties like you said and these like more strange untraditional venues to all this like massive, massive platforms. I think the biggest whiplash was like when we did the turnstile run for those four dates that we did. Cause like, that was like the biggest thing we've ever done. And I think the last show we played before that, I don't even remember the last show we played. Probably a house show. Yeah, I think it was. So it's like, that was crazy because not only was it like, we were outside of our comfort zone in terms of like capsize, of like the venues, it was also like, these guys are not Coco Claire Claire fans. Like the crowd was majority like there for turnstiles. So it's like, we, it was the first time we had to like convince a crowd of us and like kind of like sell ourselves, which was like very humbling, but like so scary. And, um, but I think it definitely helped us and prepared us for shows like Lollapalooza and like the festivals that we played this summer. It definitely like made that easier, but it's definitely a different vibe for sure. In the house show vibe everyone's encouraging you to be as crazy as possible and then you get to like these serious huge beautiful venues and you're like so far from the crowd and they're all just standing there like waiting for the person they came to see and I think I expected it to be almost easier to act crazy because I'm like oh like let's just give them a show if they're bored or something but it's like you walk on stage and it's crickets and you're like oh my god like how do I make these people like us? Like, let's just do a good job and get off the stage like as quick as possible. But I think we're like learning more and more after playing these big shows, how to like find a happy medium of like, okay, how do you act at the house show? How do you act on the big stage? Because it's still true. Everyone just wants to see like a crazy show. I had to like learn how to like even like talk to the crowd, the like bigger crowds. Cause before we just say anything and now we can't really do that. So <laughs> it, that's been interesting. Like sometimes Claire will say something on stage. And I'm like, I don't know where this is going and I'm scared for my life, <laughs> but, like, <laughs> but we've been good. We've been good. Can you give me an example? When we played Montreal, she like asked the crowd, she's like, can I get a wee wee? And I was like, oh God, what are they going to do? But they said wee wee. And I was like, okay, it landed. So <laughs> I don't know, just stuff like that. Oh, and you said like, fuck a certain song. Oh, yeah. yeah, we won't repeat that. It sounds like your career has like this kind of crazy 
organic trajectory that I feel like a lot of artists obviously strive for. And I'm really fascinated by that kind of thing, especially like when you had your big viral hit, you know what I mean? Like, I'm really interested to hear like how you guys like reckoned with that, if it changed your approach to your career or if it was a bit just like too overwhelming and you just like what let things happen as they happened. On one hand, we always like thought or knew songs would go viral on TikTok. We were talking about this the other day. Like it was something we were almost waiting for because so much of our songs are just like cute, like bubbly beats and like funny lyrics. And it makes sense for the TikTok formula or whatever it is. But when it happened, I don't know if it was like too big to even think about. It just was kind of funny. Like I was always waiting. I was like, okay, well, when's like my favorite TikToker going to use it? And then they wouldn't. I'd be like, oh my God, yay. And then like move on. And it's kind of a hard thing to like really feel. But what it changed, I think, is like our business approach to the project. Like we've had to take more meetings with people because there were more eyes on us and labels wanting to talk to us. And we like really quickly built like a tight team around us and have had to think about like, what do we want to do? Do we want to sign to a label? Where do we want to go? What do we need to do that? It made us like a lot more protective and serious of the project, if anything. I also feel like it changed people's perception of us. Like in a way, TikTok made us, I guess, get taken a little bit more seriously. But then at the same time, there's that like, I don't know if it's a trope, but like you know, TikTok artists, it's a box and like, we don't really want to be in that box. So like, we're trying to figure out how to be like thankful and grateful for TikTok and all the exposure we've gotten from. But we also like, just don't want to be like tied to that and like stuck to that because it's very limiting. And I feel like we're songwriters first and we're comedians second, just kidding. But then (laughs) I feel like, you know, we're more than that. And so I think this album hopefully will help people see that too. Could you expand on that? Like in what ways do you think specifically being labeled a TikTok artist is limiting? When people like think about TikTok artists, they 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 refer to it like they'll be like, oh that TikTok's TikTok song pretty. They won't be like, oh Coco and Claire Claire, these artists I also have made, blah 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 blah. Like I want them to know us first and then then refer to us as like, oh they have songs I've gone viral on there and blah blah blah. But it's like usually the other way around. It's almost like a new music scene, but it's not a real scene and it's On one hand, it's not real because it's online. On the other hand, a lot of it is just pumped by other companies or people or labels. Like it's kind of a hard thing to trust someone who's only big on TikTok because it's like you don't really know how big they really are. Can they sell out shows? Yeah. Yeah. And in the meetings we've had with people, they'll be like, you guys sell out all your shows and you're big on TikTok. Like, how are you doing that? And we're like, I don't really know the answer to that, but you've obviously not seen that very often. So there are artists that do go viral on TikTok and like and huge and have like careers outside of it. But I feel like we're just like breaking in right now. So we don't have like the discography and the history so that people can remember us or refer to us as something outside of TikTok yet. And so we just like want to also like build that up. I guess just be bigger and outside of that. I think too like with that being the scene that it appears that we're coming from it does change how people warm up to you it's like the same as like oh he's like from the Atlanta trap scene or like oh they're from like the Portland DIY scene it's like oh those are like TikTok girls you know it like really kind of quickly defines the whole project and 
it's definitely not a bad thing. TikToks, we love TikTok. It's we're so grateful for it, and I think it's an amazing thing for the industry. But it people respond to it differently, I think, and it's not totally true to our whole project. So, yeah, like Coco said, it's just like building something outside of that. So when people leave TikTok and go look us up, they're like, oh, they're not just random on TikTok. Like they have songs with porches. They have all these things and they've done all these crazy tours. And um, yeah. There's such a wide variety of collaborations on the record from uh, artists from around the world. So I was wondering how, how those all came together. Really different. Yeah. Like the porches, he's like friends through friends and we went to their show in Atlanta and we all hung out after and it was just like a conversation like would you want to do something together and he was so down so that just kind of happened through like social scene stuff and then Dito Black I think we both have just been like watching her on even like style wise she's such like a fashionable inspiration and someone who we kind of like have always wanted to like not be aligned with but like thought like oh they seem so fun like I'd love to like go to London and hang out with them or whatever it might be and she started following us I think like really randomly and we were like holy shit like we love her that's so crazy and just hit her up and she was down Marjorie Sinclair we just like had been listening so much to him and it was kind of like a shot in the dark we were like considering like Max at one point for like a feature and I think that just became more and more I mean yeah, and so then we found <laughs> Venora, and we're like, okay, this is cool. Like, this is a really cool vibe. And then Dila, yeah, I was just like on Spotify, like listening to like artists, like related artists to like a bunch of random people. I was just like on a spiral, and I came across Dila, and I loved like how deep her voice was and her accent, like and her style, like everything about her was so cool. And I thought, like, even though she had, she has like I don't know how many monthly listeners she has, but like not very many, I guess. And it was just, it feels good to like be able to find someone with fucking talent and like give them a platform. So I'm excited for that to be out. So much of the time, like we've dealt with this on a couple projects where people will be like, why don't you work with so-and-so? Or like, I can hit them up. Like, let's get this person on a song. And they'll either be like so out of our league or just totally like not, they wouldn't make sense, but they have so many followers. So everyone's like, duh, do it. Like, that's an obvious collaboration that you should do. And we're like, okay, well, that doesn't make sense. Like we don't listen to them or that's going to look crazy or something. We very much like don't want to just collab with people because like numbers wise, it looks like it makes sense and like that it'll make a hit or something. Like we want to work with people that we actually listen to and are inspired by and like trust that will like be on the same vibe that we're on and like get it. Like they have to also like get us and – yeah. Yeah. I think the as across the board and like varying as all the features are, they're each like some of our favorite artists and people we've we're listening to a lot around the album. I still can't even believe we got some of them on the album. It's like crazy to me cuz they seem like almost so big in our minds cuz we listen to them so much and then I'm like, "Oh shit, like they fuck with us." Like it's really affirming and cool. A song that on the on the new album that really stood out was lamb
felt like you you guys really meshed with Porsches really well. It's not new for you guys to do like more melancholy songs. We touched on this earlier, but this one, again, just like felt especially deep and, and going there. You have like this sort of really emotional nostalgia about starting off and like going back to the early days. So I was wondering if writing that song was like especially cathartic because for me, it is like quite a standout in your catalog. I actually had to rewrite my verse about four or five times. And I the la- the final version that is on it, I was like, I remember you were recording in the other room and I was like, if she doesn't like this, this isn't happening. <laughs> like I could not do it. But I mean, th- that song in particular, like when we got the final master back, I cried, which is like crazy. I've never felt that strongly about anything we've made. Um, before so like in that sense it was very cathartic like that moment made it very cathartic um but like in the process for it I had a really hard time with that song but I'm like so happy and proud of it it is a really beautiful song all three of us Coco Aaron from Porches and I came at that song in like ways we were kind of unsure of like I remember we had the beat. I remember the night we got the beat and we both were like, oh my gosh, like we're in our indie yeah. bag. Like we're going to make a Fleetwood Mac song or something. <laughs> and we didn't touch it for so long because it's also kind of like, how does Coco and Claire do that? But I was like home alone one night and just like, I've never been able to force myself to write a song or if I'm sad, be like, okay, like write about your feelings now. And I think I was moody. And I like wrote the chorus and then I was like, well, that's so cute, but I'm so nervous to show Coco because it's like really like sad kind of and like so weird and vulnerable. But she loved it. And I was like, okay, we're on to something. And then when we got Porches on the track, we spoke to him afterwards and he was like, or I think one of his friends told us, he was like, yeah, he said he's not really saying much on that song. And I was like, no, his verse is so good. Like it sounds amazing. And fit so well and then like Coco having to re-record her verses again and again it eventually just worked and it does sound I feel like like we all sat in the room and wrote it together which is crazy to me because it was we all were kind of like I think biting our nails about it like what the hell are we doing but I think that's my favorite song on the album or one of them at least. Obviously this song was particularly difficult to write but hearing you guys just talk about writing the lyrics for this song Um, just made me wonder like how you approached writing the lyrics for this album versus Posh or, you know, your previous singles. Like, you know, obviously you were going for different vibes on this project, but what were, what were like the big standouts, the big contrast between the two? We started recording in a studio for the first time, which changed our mentality so much, like made us a lot more focused and Yeah, we really took our time with the project. In the past, we'd sit in a kitchen for an hour, write something, and then like finish the song building off of what the other person wrote. And then we'd be like, that's great. And like just hope that we liked it the next day when we replayed it. And usually we did and we just put it out because we didn't really, I mean, we cared, but we knew it was pretty lighthearted and we kind of just trusted ourselves. And now that we were in the studio we were like okay is this actually good like let's play it with other songs that we're listening to right now and mm, let's come back to it next week and let's let's get the verse on it and see what they do and if we need to like kind of match their vibe more but very much like the same style of writing like we always are jotting things in our phones writing little one-liners or melodies and then like going back to that and being like what do we feel like today and what do I want to talk more about 
and it is sort of like a freestyle vibe, but we clean it up as we go. We really like, I think, write the songs all in like the day of, unless we have to go back and change it. It's never like I sit in bed and write a whole song and then I'm like, that's perfect. And we record it. It's kind of like an in the moment thing. Yeah. We just, I think we took our time this time around. I feel like with earlier albums, like we didn't ever get it mixed or mastered. We would just, and we would never like plan like what we were going to do with it like how this would look overall as a whole project like having to think about that for this album like rollout and like content stuff and how we want it to be cohesive and all this stuff and like how we want it to be perceived a certain way like we've never really had to think that hard about all it so but it has been fun to have to do that it makes me feel more like this is my baby this is like something I put a lot into a lot of your your lyrics can focus on haters people who are dismissive of you I'm wondering if in the past, if if you guys have faced any backlash as female rappers who like to have fun when they make music. We've gone through the ringer a little bit Um, when we first started. Like we one time we got asked to do an interview for Creative Loafing in Atlanta and they did like a photo shoot, but they didn't tell us like they just said it was going to be like a couple pages in the in the magazine or whatever. And then turns out they decided to put us on the cover and they told us that they got like emails, like very angry emails from like guys and bands being like, why do these girls deserve that? Blah, blah, blah. And like in retrospect, I'm like, I can't believe they were like losing their marbles over that. But like also it's like, I don't know. It's kind of like a testament to like, I think how everything has happened for us. Like we just do it because we're like, okay, we'll do this. It sounds cool. And then like things get more serious or go further and like, yeah, I don't know. I think that upsets people because I guess it is a little bit effortless. And I know there's people that work so hard to see um, huge accomplishments like that. And I don't know. I guess we're just lucky. Yeah. So I, th- but I do think that rubs people the wrong way. And so, yeah, we've had like we've played shows where like someone before us, a band like blew the speakers. And so it was time for our set. We had to spend 15 minutes of our set figuring out the speakers. And then it turned it turns into us cutting into the next band's time and now we're divas and we think we're Beyonce. And it's like, no, we had to spend our entire set fixing what someone else messed up. And yeah, so it's just like, we could never win back then, but now I don't think we care, so. I think even like there've been tours we've been asked to go on or even just kind of talked about. And it's like, we'll have so many more streams than maybe other artists on the bill and it'll be like a band and they're like, no, like Coco and Claire play first and then it's our band because like those are just like, I don't know, they have like a perception of us. And I'm like, okay, but we technically, if you look at the numbers, (laughs) like not to go there, but like we have to speak up for ourselves. Like we shouldn't be opening for like an empty room because we have so many more numbers. It's like, feel it is awkward to talk about without sounding like full of yourself. But yeah, yeah, like Coco said, I think we do get written off in a way because it's so effortless and we've talked so much about like people taking us more seriously and like what we can do to like make people take us seriously. And I think that kind of plays into the TikTok thing too. It's almost like as much of a blessing as it is, it's kind of given people more space to be like, I told you like, they're just little TikTok girls. And we're like, no, like I was playing with Playboy Cardi. Yes. <laughs> like we're not just TikTok girls. We've been doing this. And like people just like to be upset about stuff, I guess. If they don't understand it, they're just like, whatever it's two silly little girls that are laughing a lot yeah i think the word effortless is key because i think a lot of people confuse effortlessness for not giving a fuck 
or being dismissive of being artists or, or, or being musicians. But it's not that, obviously. It is charisma. It is chemistry. And it comes easily. And it's reflective in not just the music, but the certain things that you say in the music. Yeah, I feel like people have different ideas of what they think a real musician is. And so like, you know how people like get mad and say like, Beyonce doesn't write any of her songs, blah, blah, blah. Like she's not a real artist, but it's like, there's way more to artistry than that. Like, you know, like she, I feel like she overlooks everything that she does. Not talk about Beyonce. Um, Anyway, (laughs) but it's just not, and not that we think we are Beyonce, but it's just like the same thing. Like, I think there's people that like, spend so much time like learning their craft and like playing instruments and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, I don't even know how to play a single instrument. And I'm sure that pisses people off. So like, I don't know. It depends. It's like, it's a subjective. It's a shame. And I know we're not the only people to feel this way that so much of the industry is like still obsessed with like the guitar and the full band. And because it's a huge part of music and the history of music. I think it can be hard for people to kind of like catch up to the times and be like, okay, like it's just two girls and a microphone. Like, that's fine. Like they yeah. wrote all the songs. They chose these beats. Mm-hmm. They're the ones we style ourselves. All of the creative is us. Like the whole project is very much us. We just got a serious manager earlier this year. Like up until then, we were basically kind of hustling it all by ourselves I just wanted to ask a, a couple more questions about the album. So, The Hills, that's another one of my favorite songs on, on the project. It kind of stands out um, amongst the crowd of like house inspired, like sort of bassline songs. It kind of reminded me of like how when you released Crush, 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 um, I think back in 2017, that was around the time when, you know, my boo was having a moment again and uh, Miami bass was kind of on the come up a little bit. So I was wondering if like it's just sheer like kismet and coincidence when these things sort of align in your in your music or if you like pay attention to like the sounds of the moment and are like okay we're gonna try our spin on these these things now i feel like subconsciously there is probably something to it like oh we've been listening to a lot of this kind of music and we've really been liking it so then when we hear the beat we're like oh like this is cute like we haven't heard a modern song that sounds like this in a while. Like, let's let's try it. But we're also, on the other hand, pretty intentional about, like, not wanting to make anything too current. Like, we didn't want to fall too much into, like, a drum and bass trap on the album. We didn't want to do anything that sounded so much like other stuff that was coming out, even though, like, we love that sound. It's just, it's being done, yeah. Um, but... As far as like selecting beats and stuff goes, we listen to almost every beat that's sent to us. We have producers that we consistently work with and kind of trust. And we ask them to like sample a random song and they'll come back with this like amazing beat or they'll just send us a pack of stuff. And we're like, oh, okay, like 
this is great. So a lot of it might be like what's inspiring them even, and we don't even think about it. Um, but yeah. My boo though, that used to be like our song that we do, like yeah. we, when we run out of our own songs to play, we'd always sing that song. So I feel like, yeah, we have a deep love for that one. Mm-hmm. So probably like bled in subconsciously or yeah. yeah mm-hmm. So how many songs in total did you record for the album? Just the songs that are on it, but we did have, more beats. I think there was probably like 15 to 18 beats that we were waiting to choose from. It was just kind of always changing based on like how we felt once we got in the studio or yeah, the album took like a year to maybe make, but some of the songs have lines in them that we've had in our phones for like three or four years. And some of the beats we've had for more than a year. So we kind of just narrowed that part down based on, yeah, like if we didn't really vibe with it anymore or if it didn't match other songs that we knew we wanted on the album or if it was actually hard to write and record to, that can sometimes be a killer. We actually had a Danny Harrell beat, but like it was like a really slow beat and like we just couldn't make it work, but definitely hoping to work with him in the future for sure. Oh, and then like um, this producer Feeds that used to produce like all Uffy stuff, we got a beat from him too. But it was like, yeah, just like with the rest of the album, it didn't work. Yeah. But he's like awesome and goaded. So we hope to also like make that work. What was the the biggest obstacle in, in recording the album over the year that you were making it? Probably like our ideas were bigger than we've had before. Like even with 8 a.m. pulling from influences like Dido and it's like, well, how do we do that? Or how do we hit the note that Autotune needs for this techno song and like, it was in our mind so clearly. Even the hills I thought was really hard to record. But like when we did the little demos, I was like, oh, this is so easy. Easiest song ever. Cute bop. And we'd get in the studio and I was like, I sound crazy. Like I can't sing on this song. It's like I can write to it, but I can't. Um, so I think like we both grew a lot in terms of like writing and flows and harmonies and melody. So yeah, I think it was actually just like getting our ideas onto the beat because they were so much bigger than we had like kind of reached for before. Yeah, I feel like also we kind of had to learn with this album, like how to write to our capabilities because like we could write all these melodies and all these like lyrics, but like if we, yeah, can't hit the notes or like I sound shaky doing it or whatever, then definitely have to go back and alter things. So that was something that with Lamb, I had to learn because I was like, okay, like I these lyrics are cute, but I don't normally sing and I can't really. So like, how do I like do a interesting, weird rap talk thing on here and still have the lyrics and put the message I want? Like, how do I get that through all at the same time? So that was like a big learning experience. Probably the hardest thing to do, but I'm like glad that we kind of getting better at that. It sounds like recording the album has made you both excited for the future of the Coco and Claire Claire project. Is that fair to say? 100%. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was really affirming for us to be able to make songs like this. And with the last EP we put out during COVID, the rollout, all of it was just kind of like a mess. And by the time it was coming out, I felt like I was over a lot of the songs. And when it came out, I I didn't listen to it for so long. And now I'm kind of like back into it and I love it. But with this album, we're both like listening to it every day. And it almost feels like easier to record and think of concepts for songs because I'm so much more confident knowing that we made these songs. Um, So that's helped a lot. And it is kind of like, even though we've put out the Posh album, it is really like our debut album in a way. So we're excited to like 
really make a our first step into the industry, I guess. Our first like in, fully intentional step yeah. into the industry for sure. And finally, what's the biggest misconception around Coco and Claire Flair? I think it's been that we're kind of like mean or something because yeah, the songs are can be I don't want to say catty, but they have like that cheekiness to them and I think people are surprised when they meet us that we have that we're like shy and like giggly and like want to be friends with everyone, especially even like I think in the music scene, it's hard sometimes like when we do go out, people are like kind of give us a bit of attitude because they're expecting it from us. And I'm like, please be nice to us. Like that's been a whole thing. I even got a comment on Instagram today. This girl was like, you guys were in my dream. And I said hi to you. And I was like, hi, you're so cool. And your response was, we know. She was like, it broke my heart. I was like, in your dreams, that's how we act? Like, that's not what we're like at all. Yeah, I think the, like, first eye-opening experience about, like, how we're perceived was when we, like, met Baby Sosa when we played, um, Uh, what's it called? Smokers Smokers Club. Club. And she was like, y'all are actually cool. And I was like, wait, what? Like, <laughs> like, oh, are we like not? Do we seem like we're not? Like, what does that mean? But like, yeah. <laughs> but like, I mean, I love her. That was cool. She didn't know we were from Atlanta or something. We were like, oh yeah, we're from Atlanta. She was like, Atlanta? Like, whoa. And that even could go back to the TikTok thing. It's like, as soon as anyone hears or sees that, they're like, okay, LA industry plant, weird girl. Like, don't need to know her. She's fake. And we're like, we are in Atlanta just going out so yeah i guess people thinking that we're mean or industry plants or not cool i guess loser (laughs) (laughs) that was coco and claire claire talking to the faders jordan darville their new album sexy dropped this past friday november 4 on nice girl world via alternate side and many hats distribution The Fader interview is engineered by Tony D'Ambroni. The executive producer is Alex Robert Ross, and the associate producer is Raphael Helfand. We'd like to thank Loughton Audio for providing our microphones. You can find them online at lautenaudio.com. And we'd like to thank James Ivey for providing our intro music. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd appreciate if you left a five-star rating and review. If you like listening to The Fader, good news. We're now on the new live radio app, Amp. Download it from the App Store now. And keep an eye on thefader.com for essential music news, interviews, and essays. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Fader Interview. Goodbye until then.